Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Armchair Booking Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Steve, and my co-host is Kyle. Say hello, Kyle. Hello. Mother Nature is affecting me out here in Maryland. Yes, right now, Kyle, you are literally on the road right now, aren't you, Uh, on your way home? I am on the road and in a tornado tornado warning in a torrential downpour, which is awesome. And how ironic with today's subject that we are about to get into a Mother Nature tag team. (laughs) Never really thought about it like that, but it does make sense because we are going to be discussing... The Killer Bees, B. Brian Blair and Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, which I realized after the fact when I made the description, I added a G on the end of jumping. Should be jumping, uh-huh. Jim Brunzel. I was like, ah, oh, no, I did that. So that's a major fail on my part, or at least a minor fail. It's a fail. I failed. Kyle, I failed, dude. Uh, it, it's a regular occurrence, and I apologize for your wife in advance. Oh, well, you know, things happen. But but here in a couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating 22 years of being married. So, yeah, I think I've been doing okay. Yeah, I, I, think you got it right. I think you got it right with that one. Yep, I believe so, too. So she's sitting there right, right beside me. I don't think she can hear anything you're saying. <laughs> but, but, yes, the Keller well, Bees. A future episode is, is going to be on how your wife is a closet wrestling fan. I've been, you know, trying to think about that. I think whenever I can, if I can ever get the time to actually try my, what essentially is, is going to be a research project, you know, life just kind of gets in the way it, it sometimes between work. And now my daughter is back home from college, and she do she did very well her first year. Made Dean's List, and she just made the Dean's List again, but she uh, she is in the Honor Society uh, where she goes to the, to university. And she's going to be the vice president of her improv troupe that she's part of, and she's going to be an RA. So we are extremely proud of her, and you know we, we can only see good things for her. And we say congratulations to your nameless child um, and the, her guest stars and her video that she posted up a, a couple days ago. I still want to punch the the male. The male lead. Oh, did I tell you what? Well, actually, you know what? I think she posted the grade she got for that assignment, and when I shared it, it should have also made the announcement as well. She got a 98 on that. That says anything. I mean, that's how good she did. I asked her, I was like, well, not 100. Because there was one part where she had somebody walking, and she had the sound of the footsteps, and he told her to take out the footsteps, and she forgot. Now, so very, very minor detail. She still got a 98. And she rocked that class. The male character could be a wrestler. And it very well could be. I mean, he just has a face and all-body mannerisms that make you want to assault him. He's Morrison. Honestly, that's what reminds me of is Morrison. I I could not believe how much I wanted to assault that character watching a silent film. Well, think about this. She wrote that entire thing 
the entire film, the script, everything. She wrote it. She directed it. She produced it and edited it for mostly. The only, there was a couple things she didn't do, like some of the lighting and, of course, the scenes where she was in, uh, somebody else had to kind of watch with the camera work and things like that. Because yeah, she's only in, she's only in her own film. She's only in it for maybe what thirty seconds, if that. But the whole point was. Go ahead. You really have to. You have to know her to know. She was in it. Mhm. But maybe I will post the link to that on the Facebook page and the Twitter page. And speaking of Twitter. Um, well, actually, you know what? Before we start, let me go ahead and give all the contact and listening info, and then I'll get into some a uh, little bit of news and some kind of really kind of cool news about Twitter. Uh, but if anybody would like to contact us, please email us at armchairbookingpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash armchairbookingpodcast or on Twitter at bookingarmchair. There's a, we have a YouTube channel. We're on iHeartRadio, on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. All the links are in the description. And if you're listening on somebody else's, hey, just tell them to send it to you, and that way you can get the links. And if you can, just go on there, especially on Apple Podcasts. Go on there, give us a five-star review. Let us know how we're doing. Give us any kind of feedback. We really appreciate it. And we are still not taking phone calls. I think hopefully in the future, Kyle, I think that will change because we ha- I haven't even, haven't I haven't even had anybody attempt to do anything in the past month or so. So I think we might just be in the clear. I'm but we'll sure see. No, I'm sure nobody attempts because you start every episode with we will not be taking calls. Possibly, but I think. We will experiment with having pre-planned phone calls because I know you're 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 trying to line some people up. I'm trying to line some people up so we can actually have some dialogue with people. And some of these folks are actually in the wrestling business, and some are fans, just like Kyle and I. And but well, when I say fans like Kyle and I, we're not talking like the casual fan. We're talking somebody who really, really gets into it. Right. Yep. So, have I forgotten anything? No, I think you covered everything. All right, cool. And I did tell the owner of the Northern Wrestling Federation, Roger Ruffin, uh, I actually contacted him to actually inquire about the show they're putting on this Saturday. And he sent me uh, some information about it. And for anybody around the Cincinnati area or or Northern Kentucky area. This Saturday, May 8th, at the Hits Indoor Baseball Complex at 3785 Lake Park Drive in Covington, Kentucky, there's going to be an event for the the National, the Northern Wrestling Federation. And some of the matches that are already going to be on the card is going to be Larry D. You might recognize the name, Kyle. He's been an impact. Uh, Yeah. Larry D. against Joshua. That's it, just Joshua. Uh, Pompano Joe against Damian Chambers. Juicy against Nasty Russ. Kimba against Andrew Reed. Swinger, that's his name, against Octavius Sinclair Bentley. Uh, DC against Alex Hayden. 
and there's going to be a future NWF, a future stars NWF scramble. I don't know what exactly scramble is. It sounds like it might be a battle royal, possibly, but yeah, but I think it's going to be something similar to that. Uh, some of these names, besides Larry D, people may not know yet. I can tell you right now because I've seen all of these um, all these folks wrestle, and I can tell you, Juicy, this dude has his own fan club already. They follow him around everywhere. I'm, I'm serious. I could. They even came to this little bitty town that I live in, and they they all had you know like the the COVID masks that we're all wearing, our social distancing. They actually had. Some custom made that have his logo on there. Was a juicy, juicy, juicy. Yeah, I mean, and he's good. He was one of the final four that was in that battle royal uh, back in was it November, I believe. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, he he is good. Uh, Kimba is another one who's really good, and you know, I think that uh, once he matures a little bit, because I know he's he's only like twenty one, twenty two. And he acts like a 21 or 22-year-old at times. But I think once he gets a little bit more maturity, I think he will be something. They did not mention some of the other, I guess, people being involved. Uh, because the person that she posted this uh, or retweeted this was small and mean Selena Dean, our friend. And she is going to be involved in a summit of sorts. I think it's what I call between herself, Nikki Victory, and Big Mama, that's her name, is Big Mama, because of what happened at the last event at the baseball complex there in Covington, where Nikki Victory was in a tag match, fought off the, you know, trying to fight off the opponents. In fact, when the opponents was Selena Dean, Big Mama came in, cleared the ring, and then turned around and spiked Nikki Victory, who was the NWF Women's Champion, Spiked her through a table, and Selena Dean was the golden ticket holder for the women. And she cashed that in like a boss, grabbed that leg, hooked it, one, two, three, boom. New women's champion for the NWF. And so she's going to be there as well. So I'm sure you have local wrestling back. It's exciting. Um, there's a gentleman that picked on your, your son that you posted about not too long ago. Yes. He, he is wrestling. They don't have him listed, but he is Adam Swayze. He is one half of the Hollywood blondes along with Rex and they don't have them listed. Normally they do because they're actually, oh no, they were. The NWF Tag Team Champions, they actually lost the belts to Star Rider and uh, Rich Cote, I believe, was the other guy. I don't have it right in front of me. Uh, good match. Uh, but Hollywood Blondes, they, that's, it, the NWF kind of goes old school on some things, which I enjoy. This was a classic with the heel team, one swung at the opponent, missed, hit his, hit his partner, and they ended up pinning them, one, two, three, boom, new champions. And the NWF, they have it's like a Sunday night broadcasting they, they do where it's called Bustin' Loose. 
and they actually filmed their promos with these wrestlers and filmed some of the, uh, I guess some of the events, you know, angles, I guess, for the storylines. And they'll post it on Facebook. And one of these, they had Adam Swayze basically berating Rex. He said, your fault we lost, and your fault this, and your fault that. Just to give kind of a visual, do you remember the old Warner Brothers cartoon where you had the two little dogs? Well, the two dogs, one was big, one was little, and you had the little one, he's always jumping around, yap, 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 yap. That's what the Hollywood blondes look like. Because Adam Swayze is probably no more than like five foot eight. And Rex is about six four, six five, easily. And he's a he's a big boy. Uh not a lot of muscle, I will say that. But he's still he's he's a big boy. And so that that's what they remind me of. But and I do realize Adam Swayze with his Twitter, you know, him I had to I had to kind of pull myself back for a little bit because I mean I automatically went into defensive mode. But I'm like, he's in character. Now, if he says it in person, I'll let him know that, you know, you look like a flamboyant Harry Krishna, but you're going to sit there and talk to smack about somebody else. But anyway. No. See, I, I, I didn't find that funny when you said it the first time. I'm pretty sure he looks like a, a Dollar General Lodi. <laughs> I do like yours. <laughs> I do like yours. <laughs> And I would pay your young child to carry that sign. <clears throat> wow. Because, yeah, you know, I don't know if anybody – well, except for Juicy's fans. I'm telling you, dude, if you could you, – you ought to see this. In fact, I think – you know what? Does he follow the Twitter? Let me go check. Yeah, he, he might actually follow the Twitter. He does. Juicy follows the Twitter page. So I'll see what I can do about maybe getting him on, you know, at least for somewhat of an interview. I mean, I don't know how long we'd be able to do it. And I don't know um, how the NWF would handle someone, like, interviewing their their folks, even if it's just for a podcast, even for a local podcast. Because when Chris Demise, he was on uh, the late Jordan Garber's podcast, and in fact, Chris Demise, he actually, um, when I posted that Jordan had unfortunately you know, passed away, it actually hit Chris, you know, a little hard too. He's like, man, he said he was the first person to ever interview me. You know, he's, he said that that hurts. You know, so, but his interview when he did it, uh, because Jordan had just made, you know, he had just kind of signed on with them in a way. He was actually going to do like some of their interviews for them. It was going to be a regular thing. And, and of course, obviously, you know, um, it didn't happen. You know, he just did the one interview, and that ended up being all. But he did it. It was worked interviews. It was everything was in character, you know. So I would like to actually speak to some of them, and especially someone like Juicy, and say, man, how did you build up such a following already? <laughs> so, but anyway... I- the options might be limited in your part of the country. Possibly. Um, we'll have to see. You know, because I'm trying to make a little bit more contact with some of the folks in the NWF. Uh, Randy's actually been helping me out a little bit because he actually knows those folks because he's had 
he's actually had quite a bit of interaction because at one point he has, or some points, different times, he has actually been some of their medical personnel on standby because Randy's an EMT. And so he's doing them. He's actually, he did a fantasy camp with them years ago. Uh, and some of them he, you know, he's become friends with and he's friends with them on Facebook. And I think he follows, he doesn't do a whole lot on Twitter, but, but he's kind of helped me out. He, he actually introduced me to Roger and there's another guy named Icon Lee. That's another, I didn't even see his name listed. He may be part of the future stars. This dude is good. And he, he actually still believes in kayfabe because we were talking to him afterwards and, or trying to talk to him. And he's like, nope, don't talk to me, you know, and just the way he was doing it. And at the end he said, yeah, Randy. And it was almost like he kind of gave Randy a wink, like, because he remembered who Randy was. And Randy actually told me uh, later on, maybe, you know, it's at some point that day, he said, Icon actually, uh, obviously, you know, away from the arena, away from the ring, you know, just them talking personally. You know, he, he said, he, I guess he told Randy he would always respect him because he said Randy always believed in him. Yeah, he believed he would do good, and so he, he said he has nothing but respect for Randy because of that. But anywho, I've, I've just been rambling. That's what I do. So the news of the week, Ava Marie has returned to Monday Night Raw. Hmm. And they're going to do a gimmick called Evolution. Evolution. Oh. Uh, I think it might work. I, I mean, it's it's kind of rolls off your tongue a little bit. And I'm actually looking at some wrestling headlines right now. And one of the ones I'm seeing, but I have not actually seen any other mention about it, was Chelsea Green. She says the WWE sent her a trash bag. <laughs> so well, I, don't it, think, I don't think they're going to be getting rid of Natalia anytime soon. Well, Gail Kim confirmed it, that her stuff came in a trash bag. It, it must be something they do to the women because they they don't do it to the male wrestlers. Hmm. But they did go through a process to apologize. But yeah. Oh well. Like, imagine doing whatever your time was with your company, and they go, adios, Steve, we've hired you, um, cheaper college intern. Here's your stuff. Well, my company, just because I know how they, um, if if somebody does get, like, the short notice, hey, your job just got eliminated type deal, they walk them out of the building. They don't even get a chance to get their stuff, and they will box their stuff up. I do know that. But if they would put it in a garbage bag, oh, I'd be – yeah, I'd be highly ticked. But anyway, I know my office doesn't have garbage bags that size. 
<laughs> How big is your desk? Oh, my desk is the size of your master bedroom. Your desk? Your desk is the size of of my bedroom. Yeah, my my desk is is huge. But I've got seven different workstations on it. Oh, good lord! Like my my office is probably bigger than my living room. I'm just imagining three-headed monitor monster you got plus others. No, I got a 27-inch monitor that I use. Oh, you don't double up? Uh Uh-uh. Okay, well, 27 inches, then. It drives me insane. Uh, Was she tapped? And there she goes. She just tapped. Okay. You know Raw's on. But, so, subject of our podcast tonight, the Killer Bees. Kyle, did you get a chance to catch the Killer Bees when they were still, I guess, active in the WWF back in the day? I did. And the good thing about this is while I was watching AWA Wrestling on ESPN, um, I'm pretty positive that Jim Brunzel was on a vast majority of the shows that I watched as part of the tag team, Greg Ganya. Yep, the High Flyers. And if Jim Brunzel is listening which might be a possibility because he gave our Twitter account a follow today. So, Mr. Brunzel, if you're listening, hello, and thank you for the follow, and we appreciate everything you did for wrestling and are still doing, apparently, from what I've been reading, you're still you know, someone involved. And I loved watching him. He had one of the best drop kicks ever in the business, period. And, and you know, because he was a real athlete, he actually yes. Out for the NFL here near DC with the Washington Redskins. Got into professional wrestling training with the Ganyas, Ric Flair, Ken Patera, and the Iron Sheik, and then began his career part of his tag team, really. Um, he won NWA Central States. And then came back to Minnesota. That's where he formed with Greg Gagne, the High Flyers. Won the AWA Tag Team Championship against Blackjack Lanza and Bobby Duncan. Held him for a year. And then Jim Brunzel got injured. You saw him as a Mid-Atlantic wrestling fan. And... He was twice the Mid-Atlantic heavyweight champion. That was actually a little uh, before my time watching. Not long before. And then goes back to A. Reforms the team with Greg Donia. And then goes up to Montreal. Goes down to 
WWF right before the major expansion. The other half of the tag team, and I got a kick out of this, B. Brian Blair. What, <laughs> yes. does the first, what does the first B stand for? You would have to ask me, and I had it right there waiting to, and I just already bricked it. Uh, I, I've had the first time, hardest time with B. Brian Blair. It's hard to say that really, really fast. Kind of like, kind of like saying rubber baby, rubber baby buggy bumpers. You know, I don't know. Uh, I can't find it so, again. Another football player, but never won a varsity letter in college. I read that, and I was thinking that's kind of wild. I mean, he he went on, he went to well, he transferred to Louisville on a football scholarship, and still never got a letter. So he never really played, right? Now. While going to college, he started training to be a professional wrestler with Hiro Matsuda. Starts wrestling out of championship wrestling from Florida. He teamed, well, one of his early opponents is the Super Destroyer who went on to be Hulk Hogan. So we're we're talking seventy seven, seventy eight here. Mm-hmm. Uh, becomes a tag team with Bulldog, Bulldog Bob Brown. There's another whole lot of bees. Uh, <laughs> that that's a missing B right there. Yep. Won the junior heavyweight title in the tri-state promotion. Then he goes to world class. He forms a a tag team with Al Madrill, and they win the American Tag Team Championship down there. And then he goes up to the WWF, but he is on his on his way. He, He does the old WWF experience goes back down to Florida beats Freebird Jimmy Garvin for the NWA Florida championship actually defends it against Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody okay that's kind of saying something right there and then in 1983 he joins the WWF and has a brief feud with Paul Orndorff goes down to Georgia, goes back down to Florida Championship Wrestling, defeats Ravishing Rick Rude for the Florida Southern Championship, and then he signs on with WWF for the third time, and your good buddy and favorite wrestler Hulk Hogan, B. Brian Blair, and Jumpin' Jim Brunzel have the same body type 
and would be able to do a mass confusion gimmick. So they'd wear identical masks and they'd be able to switch, do the old switcheroo to win matches. And when I saw that as a young 12, 13-year-old wrestling fan, I'm thinking then, isn't it what the bad guys do? You know, because it's even been mentioned it was such a health factor, but they were faces doing it. And when I was doing some more research on this myself, and I went on YouTube and I was just looking for some of their matches, and I found one with them against the Moondogs. And I'm pretty sure you remember the Moondogs. They were like, they were basically in the WWF anyway. They were like the best gimmick job team, right? And, yeah, you know, and they always put guys over, and they and they they always and they were really good at putting guys over because they looked tough, and they could give a good match and make a make it look like okay, these guys may have beat us, but they had to earn that victory. But the the Moon Dogs, I don't ever remember seeing them win. I'm not saying they never did because apparently in years past they were a lot better, you know, quote unquote. I don't had they, I don't know had they ever been given a uh, an actual run with the WWF tag team titles or not. But I know in some of the other areas like uh, Memphis, you know, mid the Mid Southern later on CWA, and I want to say maybe in Knoxville also, it basically around Tennessee, they were actually as part of like the tag team title runs and they were actually treated more than just like jobbers to the stars. And that's kind of what they became, but watching this match with the, the killer bees against them, well, the bees had to go, you know, jump down. They had their masks sitting under the ring and they, they put them on and then they came back up for the mask confusion. But I think that actually kind of hurt them because if you're having to put on a mask to confuse the moon dogs, you know, what does that kind of say about you? And they did do that with with every match, just obviously certain ones. But uh, <laughs> they pulled it out in all their major matches. Even but though they shouldn't have had to. It, it's 1985 WWF. And this is the the beginning of the rock and wrestling. And everybody had a gimmick. Everybody had a gimmick. As a kid, and you got to remember, we, we watch, well, I definitely watched this as a, a young child was one of the most entertaining moments when the killer bees came out to wrestle it was putting on the mask was a signature move mm-hmm. absolutely it was never like a move set a kip up nothing the signature move was putting on the mask And good. they were on 
All-Star Wrestling, uh, the Monday night, our Tuesday night Titan show. They were always on Saturday night's main event. Mm-hmm. They were very, they were entertaining, and the fans liked seeing them. They were very, I guess, kind of a positive vibe. But the best way I can put it. Tuesday to be something different, and that's funny. I just used be. You did. You, yeah, you totally did. And the mask. The mask was like superpowers. <laughs> the, the mask, it was like they changed and somehow got more intense and better. I don't know how, but you'd, you'd wait for them in the match to put on the mask. Because so that's what the fans wanted to see. When you're a wrestler, and I mean, we're looking at it from the outside in. Some some wrestlers, no matter how they good good they are technically, are viewed by management as enhancement talent. Which is a shame with their case, because both B. Brian Blair and Jefferson Brazil both. Very, very sound technicians and very believable at what they were doing. And everybody talks about Jim Brunzel's drop kick, but one of the best comparisons I can give it to you actually is probably Kofi Kingston, because Kofi Kingston is known for his his uh, leaping ability. Jim Brunzel, and I'm pretty sure, but I know you read this because he was a legitimate athlete. He was a state champion in Minnesota at the high jump. So it kind of makes sense that his move being the dropkick, people said he had one of the most beautiful dropkicks in the history of the business. Well, because he could get that height, kind of like Kofi. But the fact that they did, they said, kind of use them as enhancement talent, I think that was just, that was a shame. Well, you, you go through their careers and the one thing about the gimmick to make it work, yes, putting on the mask during the match got a reaction out of the fans. And every video, WrestleMania three, Saturday night's main event, they go under the ring and they put on the mask and all the fans Corrupt. But if you do so good in a mask, why don't you wear it the whole time? Yeah. And although I will say when they did put on the masks, it wasn't just because they were starting to kind of lose the match. The, where the advantage was going to their opponents, 
it was when their opponents were cheating, and so you know, quote unquote cheating. So in a way, it was their response to that. Either way, I mean, it, I can't think of any other team that has done that. I know there had been because I know Hogan mentioned it, but he had gotten the idea from somewhere else. So they somebody had done it before them, but I, I can't think of anybody that has really done that with any regularity since then. Can you? Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely something that could work. And a good example was the conquistadors when played by other people. When played by other people because was there ever a true conquistador team? Because yeah. it seems – was there? After the uh, original – Okay, today, and I've now mentioned this before, and right now I know it's not possible because one of them's hurt, but the Usos, being twins, being identical twins, the gimmick is already built in. They could do that switch quite a bit. And I know the Bella twins, they did it at least once because there was the case where well, was it Charlotte pinned uh, Brie Bella, but Nikki Bella was actually the champion, and they had done the switch. So Stephen Man said, I know, but because they switched, you didn't actually pin the right one. And so basically his way of Nikki Bella, you know, retaining the title to beat uh, A.J. Lee's record, but whatever. And I don't know why they don't, you know, throw that in there when it's already naturally built in. And the only, oddly enough, the only other time I could think of where two of the wrestlers who resembled each other, uh, they had kind of this, about the same build and everything, was, I want to say it was the first time I ever saw the Hart Foundation wrestle on TV. Because Jim Neidhart was in the ring, and he was about to get pinned by whoever they were wrestling. And... Brett basically pushed him out of the ring and then kind of got on, you know, to pin the opponent and just kind of hit his face from the ref. And whoever the announcers were, it's probably Monsoon, was saying, oh, and the ref didn't even realize because they're built so same, so similar. But I don't think they could have, they couldn't have pulled that off all the time. No, I, I don't think they pulled it off at all. It was just that one time that I saw, and I couldn't even, that dude, that was. 1985, 86, and I want to say it was before the Killer Bees had even, or probably right about the same time they they did start with the WWF, but they only did it like the one time, and I don't think it really went over as well. I mean, they got the win, obviously, but they probably looked at it and go, "Eh, yeah, build-wise, but yeah, face-wise, no. Ironically, the first team, actual team, that the Killer B is feuded with was the Heart Foundation. The Heart Foundation, yeah. And this is the very early blue and black version, not the pink and black version we are 
more accustomed to. Then what most people forget, three Funk Brothers are cousins in WWF. They feuded with them next. Oh. Of course, Terry and Dory being actual brothers, why they put Jesse Barr in a lone ranger, like a plastic lone ranger mask that's always being sold at like the drugstores on Halloween and called him Jimmy Jack Funk. Uh, 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 uh. And that's my reaction to that is, but uh, uh, uh. of, of all the tag teams in the eighties, the killer bees are on the big event show where we discussed that Paul Orndorff should be should have beat Hulk Hogan. Yes. One up in Toronto. Then from there they're the face challengers to the dream team of Greg Valentine and Brutus the Barber Beefcake. <laughs> but just beefcake back then. Beefcake. WrestleMania two, they don't really do much. They're in a in the Battle Royal. They go to WrestleMania three in Detroit, and they pull off the the B gimmick, but they lose by disqualification to the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. And this is where. As an adult, you see they're starting to make their way down. Yep. Because they're fed to the new team of Axe and Smash of Demolition. The knockoff Road Warriors, even though they were much better than how they were being used, uh, and I, I mean, I don't even like to say the word knockoff because we know how good Barry Darso was. We know how good Bill Eady was. You know, so to put them in that kind of gimmick where it's very blatantly obvious they're trying to make their own version of the Road Warriors. Uh, but it is what it is. So um, they're they're fed to demolition. And that establishes demolition because the bees were, no matter if they won or lost, they were definitely formidable opponents. Mm-hmm. On the day where we just throw together two dudes and see if we can make it stick. And to think we have Hulk Hogan to think for that. The one day we will do a top ten of Hulk Hogan's contributions to the wrestling business. Uh, the leg drop? Nope, non-wrestling. <laughs> non- <laughs> oh, non-wrestling contributions. Because another favorite of Steve is the longest intercontinental champion of all time, the Honky Tonk Man. Because uh. Hogan pointed and said, what about him? What about him, brother? Brother. But 1987, they do 
the Survivor Series, the 10-man tag team match. And the Bees survived the Young Stallions. And, and this was this was a unique concept. They actually had 10 tag teams in this match. That's I remember that one because they had so many people involved in the match that they couldn't even get everybody up on the apron. Some of them were standing on the arena floor. So from their base, the fabulous Rougeau brothers. And this is to cement the fabulous Rougeau heel turn where they became all American boys. Love the song, though. I'll be honest with you. That song was it, it was a good song. So I know you're going to learn that, how to play that on guitar soon. I might. Don't, you know, don't put it past me. Now, I know you're, I know what you're talking about. You're talking about what I, I said earlier about uh, my son thinking I was cool because of a, a song that I learned how to play the opening, or the main riff for the song for him. Am I right? Yes. And the song is Man on the Silver Mountain. My son absolutely loves that song. And the station that we heard it on that day, and this has actually become his favorite radio station, it's on XM. It's Ozzy's Boneyard. Right. And, and the day that we heard that song, he said, he declared that he is actually the man on the Silver Mountain, and that the Silver Mountain is somewhere in Canada. No idea where he got all that from, but, but yeah, but he, yeah, he loves that song. The answer to everything is cocaine. <laughs> well, he, well, he was only like seven when he said that, so. Uh, but anyway, it was still pretty funny. <laughs> he is the man. He is the man on the Silver Mountain, and the Silver Mountain is in Canada. So, but yeah, I learned how to play. It's actually not. It wasn't that hard. And it's a Richie Blackmore riff, so it uses a lot of fourths, and he's usually finger picking. But that's a story for somebody else's guitar podcast. But anyway, so where were we talking about the Survivor Series? And the, the the match that had enough people, well, they, that match, that 10-team tag team match, that one, you can think about this, that actually had more people in it than some battle royals. That, that That's a way to establish your tag team division with all their feuds. And they only did this twice because really 98 is the end of 99 after the enforcers left, our brain busters, excuse me. Tag team wrestling went on the decline. The Bulldogs left. The Rougeau brothers broke up. The Bees were gone. The Young Stallions had issues. The conquistadors were whatever. But you had 
out of 10 tag teams, you had two jobber teams, the mid-card teams, and then you had the leading face, the leading heel team. And you had that on both sides. And, and the Bs started off in the beginning, climbed their way up, and unfortunately worked their way back down. According to Bruce Pritchard on his podcast, they did not want to do the mass. But they did it. Well, not for very long. If they came out with the mass from the beginning, the gimmick changes. And imagine being heels. Like, they they were faces the whole time doing heel things. But if they started off as heels, and and cheated, and did switcheroo things to gain an advantage. Oh, well, and you know, yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, with them, they never did switch. Well, never did officially switch. One of the things that I found out in my research was this is the era of not having anything. Nothing was really broadcast live, you know, except, except for the pay-per-views, but as far as like the shows that we would watch every week, those were all pre-taped. They were some, in some cases they may have been a month old, and they also did this with some of the house shows. And they always had a camera at the house shows, which I believe they do now too. You know, just a camera just in case something. They always want to have some kind of documentation of it. But I was reading that Hulk Hogan had a lumberjack match against the Million Dollar Man and Teddy Biasi. The bees were some of the lumberjacks surrounding the ring. And the way they did the lumberjacks back then was they had one half were the faces, the other half were the heels. And the guys could, of course, go out of the ring, and they throw them back in. Well, Hulk Hogan, apparently, when he ran out of the ring, the bees were actually going and grabbing him. And normally it was the bad guys would grab the face and throw them back in. You know, the heels would grab the face and throw them back in. But though they were the ones doing it. And then apparently after the match they gave Hogan a beatdown, and so it, and they were wearing the masks while they were doing this, and Hogan pulled the mask off one of them, and he had another mask on underneath, and so it appeared that the Million Dollar Man may have bought them, but then it was it never showed up on TV. It was never discussed, and so I'm guessing maybe it was a way to see reactions of fans to see if they bought it, and I guess they didn't. But I never saw it, so – and that was one of the things that, you know, just read about um, earlier 
But one of the things I mentioned in, in the description of the show when I was setting it up was there was actually a, another killer bee who did the switcheroo uh, twice because one time he substituted for Brunzel when he wasn't able to make a match where maybe he was injured, and another time he actually substituted for B. Brian Blair. But they did the switcheroo, and I don't know if you've already read this. Have you already read it? I saw it. I watched that. You watched it? <laughs> so, so, you know, it was SD, Special Delivery <laughs> <laughs> it it was SDB. <laughs> Please tell me that one's on YouTube. That's where you saw it, and I just didn't catch that one. No, it's a, it's on Peacock. Is it? All right, I gotta go find that. <laughs> uh, because but, I, I, <laughs> that's the, the whole. There. It, it makes you miss 80s wrestling because on one side, you you have the killer bees. And, and they were great performers, and they had an exciting moment. I guess, based on timeline, you could say they got replaced by the Rockers. Yeah, uh, that's fair to say. As the the babyface tag team, the the demolition went back and forth. Heart Foundation went back and forth. The Rougeau brothers switched. The Bulldogs left. Like, um, just missed the opportunity there. And if you listen to Bruce Pritchard, he says they would have got a tag team run if they were willing to embrace the mass full time and really get into the gimmick. Because the the mass confusion or the beast thing that they called it that was temporary. Well, one of the matches I saw within a day, and it was, it, it was, I mean, it was a squash match. I mean, just like the way it was designed to be, like what we used to see on Saturday mornings on TV back in the day when we would watch wrestling after all the cartoons went off. And it was the Killer Bees in a squash match, but one of the other opponents was named Jack Foley. Uh, who, as we know now, you know, it was actually Mick Foley, and but it, he was probably one of his, it had to be one of his very first matches because we know his second match ever, if you read his book, was him and Les Thornton against the British Bulldogs. So this one had to been after that, and he actually he did the honors, but. I'm guessing this is the Killer Bees finishing move, and this actually may have where the name Bee Sting came from. Brunzel, well, through the opponent, in this case being McFoley, all throwing to one side, and then Brian Blair 
would come off the other ropes, but Jim Brunzel had had did the drop down, and Brunz, and Blair jumped off Brunzel's back and and turned in midair and hit Foley with his butt. I'm guessing it, that may it, have been it, like a bee sting. It was called the bee stinger. Yeah, because that was one uh, thing I I could not for the life of me remember what their finishing move was. Their finishing move was actually a double drop kick. Ah, they, did, they didn't use it a whole lot. They didn't, because then that was maybe why when I was looking for all this stuff. And, I mean, I eventually had to Google what is their and could not find anything. And maybe that, that may have been something that kind of hurt them too. But Brian Blair, he's actually stated he one of the reasons they left was because he said he was promised three times that they would have a shot or a run with the titles. And obviously it never happened. He said he was promised to his face once by Vince McMahon and twice by George Scott. And then it never happened. So that's when they eventually left. But and when, yeah, when they that their most notable accomplishment in WWF, the Frank Tunney Tag Team Tournament. And basically, much like the, the King of the Ring, they did this for tag teams. And they actually pinned Demolition to win this tournament. And if you look, wow, you look at the other teams they beat, you know, there's only one uh, team that's listed here that I would say was even a little bit suspect as far as talent. Uh, Danny Spivey and Jerry Allen, and it's not to say they're both not good. Because actually, I always liked Dan Spivey when the first time I saw him as Starship Eagle with Scott right, Hall and Starship Coyote. But this, in this circumstance, you have Spivey who is teaming. Was it with Rotunda or no American? Well, yeah, he yeah he he teamed with Rotundo, um, or Rotunda, whichever it was at at the time. It changed periodically from one to the other. They had him basically as a replacement for Barry Windham because Barry Windham had left the company, and I think he went back down to Florida. And so they they liked the the U.S. Express. That's what it was because they couldn't call they couldn't call him the American Express because they were getting sued by the credit card company. So they called him the, the, the U.S. Express. And Barry Windham, well, I don't uh, – it was one of the after mags where Barry Windham you know, had an interview. And he said, they're not the same. Of course, with it being an after mag, you don't know if it was – more than likely it was not a real interview. Yeah, with the Killer Bees, though, if they pinfall over Kamala and Sika – Another pinfall over King Kong Bunny and Paul Orndorff, and then pinfall over Demolition. 
so they weren't going to just completely bury them. No, this is this is the day where teams were booked based on their positioning in the card. And that's what we miss today. Yes. Definitive booking based on where you're at on the card. And would you say that the Killer Bees were, I don't know, say necessarily the last of a dying breed, but I think you said earlier, yeah, this was kind of a golden age of tag teams because there were so many teams during this time, and they were teams. They, It was two guys who at some point decided to form a team, or maybe they were put together with somebody else, but they gelled really well and they gave themselves a name, which you don't really have that now. You know, how, many, how many can you name off the top of your head right now? I mean, I just, I'm thinking immediately the New Day. Uh, the Dirty Dogs. And there we go. Wow. <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, what I'm saying. Go ahead. You have the Street Profits. Which are very good. I do like them. You have whatever Eric and Evar are, the Viking Express or Viking whatever. Experience. Whatever. Uh, RK Bro. That just formed. I don't see it lasting a long time. I think that is the best idea they've come up with. So I, I actually think that could be entertaining. I think it can be. I don't think it'll be a long time. It'll probably last a couple months because and then, it's given Riddle the nod. I mean, that's fairly obvious. And you... You have Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin, who used to be the Hurt Business. Well, think about back during this time there was with the Killer Bees, because you know we just mentioned some of them. You know we mentioned uh, Demolition. There was also the K and M connection with Martell and Zinc which was actually a very good team, very underrated team. But then you also had Martell with Tito Santana being strike force. Then you had the Rougeos, and you had the Bulldogs, you had the Hart Foundation. There was, I mean, we're naming these just because we knew we knew them from back then. If, if back then if you said, okay, name some teams, we wouldn't even say, oh, so-and-so and so-and-so. We would say, oh, the Killer Bees. You know, we would actually name them by their team name. Miz and Morrison. Uh, I mean, it's their last name and last name, but is that really a team name, per, per se? Probably not. Yeah. You know, Rude and Dolph Ziggler, do they have a name? Dirty Dogs. Oh, duh, you said it, the Dirty Dogs. Um, well, right now, Booker T is on there, and Harlem Heat. But back then, well, this is a few years after the bees, but 
even to that area, you would have said Harlem Heat. You would have said the Steiners. Yes, I mean, it's their last name. Well, Rex Steiner, but anyway. They were brothers. You had the Freebirds still. The free, yeah, the Freebirds. The Rockers, the Midnight Rockers with the Rockers. Rock and Roll Express, Midnight Express. And, but that's the why. Dynamic, what? The Dynamic Dudes. Yes, the guys who, who would always carry their skateboards would never actually ride them. Makes you kind of wonder. So, I, I mean, there there have been moments, but right now they're in a tag team lull. Right, you have the Lucha Express, Lucha House Party. Yeah, you're watching. You're watching too. <laughs> I take it. I, I I can't say I'm watching. I can say it's on. It's it's on. Yeah. But. You're, you stab matching tights with your tag team wrestler. Uh, one theme. One set of theme music. Yes. Yes, a hundred times yes on that one. Because even when Sheamus and Cesaro, when they were teamed up for a while, I actually liked their team. They were believable as a team. But it would drive me nuts how it. I can't, I can't remember. Was it Cesaro? Would they do his music first, or was it Sheamus? Then kind of morph into the other one. But it was not. I mean, it was two individuals. Still, you know, they were the bar, which not a bad team. I didn't. I didn't really care for the name. I was like, uh, okay, if you say so. But anyway, but yes, the same music. You're right. They were a collective unit. They were not just a collection of individuals. Anywho. But those type of things, that's – it's so different. And they are one – the Killer Bees are one of the success stories of the UWF. Yep. They proved there was life after the WWF, even if it was in not just the UWF, Herb Abrams' UWF. And and to see just the amount of titles that they had (laughs) in UWF, like they had a title for everything. It was like Oprah Winfrey giving out titles. You get a title. You get a title. You get a title. Everybody gets a title. And, and like, right now, they had the UWF Midget World Championship. <laughs> Little and person. If I, if I was not reading a historical fact, that would have been I know. people. I know. <laughs> that, but he had it. And, but they finally got some gold. But he, here, uh, the UWF, the Killer Bees won the tag team championship and never defended the title. They were the only tag team champions in UWF history. So to me, that sounds like technically they're still the champions. They never lost it. Nobody else had it. 
They they have a 27-year tag team title reign. That's longer than Moolah. So arguably, they could be the greatest tag team champions of all time. Yep, they could be. Be, and, and it's funny how you say that. They they go on completely different life paths after they end as a tag team. So no like official breakup as a tag team. Nothing that split them both. In WWF, they were just returned to enhancement status. Then Brian Blair keeps wrestling all the way to 2019. Uh, let's see, so he would have been 62 years old when he finally called it a day. And had his last match at the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame 2017. And then he, he's got two kids. One of them is actually named after Bret Hart. Yep. And he became a Christian, he's in church, owned and managed four gold gyms in Tampa, Florida with Steve Kern and became a millionaire selling them. Yeah, I saw that too. I was like, wow. Was present when Brutus Beefcake has his facial injury on the parasailing accident. Well, not just present. You could actually arguably say he actually saved Brutus's life because he pulled him out of the water. Yeah. Can't understate that. But has been inducted into the... Uh, Luthez, Tragos arm of the Dan Gable, Dan Gable Museum and Hall of Fame. And he's currently the president and chief operating, well, CEO of the Cauliflower Alley Club. And, and to this day provides for his fellow wrestlers through donations to that organization. And I don't think a lot of people um, really get that's one of the things about the Cauliflower Alley Club is what they do is they they take care of the old-timers, you know, the ones who came before them and paved the way. And then from there, I mean, they pay it forward, and then the next people behind them will help them out as well. So, I mean, to me, that is a sign of just a great organization because, it, it, because you know, a lot of these guys, they didn't have insurance because even now they're not provided insurance. 
they're in an occupation, and you know, I guess, and, and I'd realized that it's their chosen occupation. They didn't have to do it. Nobody's putting a gun to their head and forcing them to do it, but they are still doing it. Nobody's putting a gun to anybody's head and forcing them to do dangerous jobs usually. And with the hospital bills and, and all the lingering health issues that these guys have and the fact that there is, is this organization that can help them out when they're no longer really in a position to where they can go out and work and try to provide for themselves. I mean, I think that's outstanding that there is somebody, um, an organization that does this. Yeah, I'm, I'm listening. Sorry. Um, yeah, I didn't mean, to cut, didn't mean to cut you off. It's just, you know, I just had to say that because, I mean, I, it's a nice positive thing. I think we need more positivity in this world, and if it was something positive, I'd like to say it. The, the Cauliflower Alley Club does a lot of work, a lot of fundraising, pretty much exists on donations. So does the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. And this is not the WWE version. Exactly. So this this is the legitimate Hall of Fame. There's one in Iowa. There's one in Texas. There's another one up in New York. I've been to none of them. I haven't either. So I need to hit... Ohio and go to the NFL Hall of Fame first. But when there's an actual a full building and everything is consistent, I'm going to hit a wrestling Hall of Fame. Well, if I say, yeah, the one in Iowa, yeah, I mean, it is a museum. It has been hit. It got hit by some flooding in 2008, but it, they had to close it for a little bit, but it reopened in 2009. And I think that's the fact they do have a physical building, or like you were saying, you know, three physical buildings, gives it more legitimacy than the WWE Hall of Fame because there is not a physical location. Although, didn't we talk about this one day, you know, where we thought it would or should open up. And I think, believe I said Orlando. Right. Here's something sad. I'm trying to think, have I ever been to any Hall of Fames? I have not. And here's the really sad part about that. I lived about five miles away from the Golf Hall of Fame for almost 15 years and never set foot in it. And then it moved. I have been, well, my child, children are all out of school now. And we went to the same art museum on five different field trips. It's like no, no one in the schools could come up with any other place for these kids to go. Wow. I mean, now granted, I've been to the Air Force Museum a ton, but that's a little different. Uh, Wow. Well, speaking of Hall of Fames, I mean, do you think do you think the Killer Bees are Hall of Fame worthy? 
and we're talking judging on their own merits, not not well. If so and so is in there, then yeah, the bees should be in there. Because I can, uh, there's quite a few people I could say, well, if they're in there, then yeah, the bees should definitely be in there. But just judging by their own well, merits, their own contributions, you know, just your opinion. Do you think that maybe there is a place for them in the WWE Hall of Fame or in the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame? You know, as, as a tag team, because we know Brian Blair, he is part of the. Yeah, he is part of the, the by himself. He is part of the professional wrestling hall of fame. As a tag team, as a tag team, you could say yes, based on memorability, memorable, memorable moments. <laughs> there you go. Um, and, and it's it's difficult because outside of a Memorial Cup. Outside of the Memorial Cup, there's nothing that says they were the best at a given time. Yeah, because the only one won Texan Championship as a team. I mean, they had won other belts with other people or singles belts. But the titles they won were not part of the WWF or WWE as far as the UWF, Herb Abrams UWF, which there's always mixed feelings about – amongst wrestling fans, I mean, you know, there's mixed feelings about Herb Abrams uh, UWF because, yeah, he had lots of stars, but the company didn't do a lot, as, didn't do as much as what it could have potentially done. Right. But – um, and Brunzel, yeah, I'm just confirming. Yeah, he is also in the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame, and deservedly so. Uh, and it's also a case where you know they, well, Brunzel. I'm just not reading, and I've read this earlier, and I should have already mentioned it. Jim Brunzel will probably never be in the WWE Hall of Fame. You know why? Why? The lawsuit. Yeah. He was part of the lawsuit. And, and most of them were. They were sold a bad bill of goods. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the, the lawsuit and what we're referring to is the concussion lawsuit mm-hmm. that was thrown out of court Last week, the WWF concussion lawsuit, 60, 60 wrestlers signed on to it to that they weren't informed of dangers. And there's no possible way of telling anything that happened to them is the direct result of negligence. You chose to get in the ring to keep working, to do whatever. And the lawsuit was the way to make some money. So they thought they did not win. Ooh. Yeah, because I can only think there was another guy 
who filed a lawsuit against the WWF that this is around 1993, 94 ish, because he was the guy who was injured and actually paralyzed in a match against the Rockers. Where Marty Jannetty, he did the rocker dropper on him. You know the move I'm talking about, pretty sure? Yeah. Yep. And the guy, uh, he he basically, he took the move wrong, came down straight on his head. And then you find out later on, it was only like his second or third match. And he sued saying he was, and this was when, yeah, this really broke kayfabe. He said he was not taught how to properly take some of those moves and left him paralyzed. And he, I, I want to say he ended up winning. He, he, he won $7 million. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm also thinking that's when the WWF, they reevaluated their own training programs to make sure the the enhancement talent were actually prepared for these matches. But oh, but good opportunity to talk about some. Lesser known, lesser appreciated performers from from the eighties. Yep. One thing. Yep. Go ahead. One thing for the Killer Bees. I wonder how they would have done in Mexico with the mass gimmick that they did, and if they missed the opportunity mm. down there. You know. Because mass wrestlers, yep, that's a very good question. Because mass wrestlers in Mexico are viewed very differently than what they are pretty much anywhere else in the world, with the exception of maybe Japan. Because the masks, I mean, they become so much a part of them that some of the wrestlers, when they passed away, were even buried in their masks. And it's a huge, huge deal for them to lose their mask. And sometimes, you know, in the States, you'd have guys who would just try to pull off somebody's mask just because, well, you didn't, you don't do that in Mexico. You don't do that to like any of the wrestlers coming up from Mexico, like the Luchadors or uh, Milmascaris. Uh, he never took off his mask and no job, no job. Anyway, right. Ray, yeah, Ray Mysterio. And you, you know, in American wrestling, when they have like a some, like a mask versus mask, or hair versus mask, or title versus something, a mask, it's because they suspect the person under the mask is somebody. With Rey Mysterio, he took his mask off. Okay, and okay, now he looks like he's twelve. Because Ray Mysterio, I mean, he <clears throat> he ages pretty well, but it wasn't like anybody knew who he was without the mask. Not like he was known without the mask. So to have the Killer Bees go down there, I don't 
I don't know if they could have pulled off the gimmick where they would put the masks on in the middle of the match, but to have them be the masked killer bees as you know part of the tag team scene where they just kept the masks on all the time. I don't know. I mean, how do you think they would have done? I think they would have been true heels down in Mexico because they took their masks off. There, there would have been a shock factor. Ah. Uh, but they would have drew money. And the team I'm thinking of for them is Eddie Guerrero and Art Bar. The juicer? No, they were the the pair of terror. I can't even pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, Art Bar. I mean, well, I'll call him the juicer because uh, but they, at the time, they went by Los Gringos Locos. Los Gringos and Locos. This would have been 94, but let's say 93, 94, Killer Bees versus Los Gringos Locos. That that could have done some money, especially with the uh, the disrespectful mass. But with Los Gringos Locos being heels, they I wonder if the killer bees could have been faces at all during. During a gimmick like that, yes, yeah, so they had a, a well, yeah because their gimmick it was like half masked is about the best way I can put it. And you're right; I mean, I think that would have been considered a big insult, and so they probably would have been heels. And you know, and with Jim Brunzel, you know, I see this question actually posted a lot in some of the, the wrestling groups on Facebook. And you, you see some people, they, they always ask the question, who never switched to the other side? You know, did, did who they stayed a face or they stayed a heel their entire career, and it can't be like, a, okay, they wrestled for two years and that was it. No, I mean, they had like a long career. We're talking like a couple of decades long. And whatever they were when they started, that's what they were when they ended. Because like Steamboat was known for never, ever switching sides. He never actually switched to become a heel. Even when he actually wanted to, they said, no, you're too over as a face. Then, you know, you'll, you'll end up killing your career if you switch to being a heel. Well, Jim Brunzel, I cannot think of any time where he wrestled as a heel. Can you? No. It would have had to have been like enhancement matches. And see, and I think enhancement matches, 
do they really count? Because you see, we and I, I know you probably got to the point just like I did where you started to recognize enhancement wrestlers on site. You know, you're like, oh, that's so and so. Well, one week they wrestled a heel, the next week they wrestled a face because they were enhancement talent. So, are enhancement talents are they were they truly heel and face, or they were just there just to put somebody over? Didn't matter who they were. Yeah. You only you're only as good as your opponent. Right, and Brazil, I don't. He never switched, and I don't think Blair. I don't think he switched either. Because everything uh, he did, well, that that goes to his tag team partner. Was Greg Gagne ever a heel? I I don't believe so because I don't think Vern Gagne would have allowed Greg to be heel. Not while not in AWA anyway. Because they they say the Von Erichs were heels in Florida. The Von Erichs were heels everywhere but Texas. But I've actually I've actually seen footage video footage of them as heels in Florida. So. Wrestling was just so different back then. It really was. I, I think part of that's because they didn't have the internet or something like what we're literally doing right now, where we're discussing the inner workings of the industry. They were not even technically part of the industry, you know. And back then, Flair, you know, when I first started, I mentioned before, Flair was a face in Mid Atlantic. But he was a heel everywhere else, and I didn't know that until I started reading uh, the magazines. And that actually makes me wonder how they got away with it, I guess, for so long. Because, you know, you could literally sit there and read it going, well, how come he's a good guy here, but he's a bad guy there? And it's not like the magazines were just started in the 80s. I mean, they had been around for a while because, like I said, I had a collection of magazines from the early 70s that someone had given me. Right. And they were part of the, 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 uh, well, the after mags. They were part of that family. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's very, very different. And I don't think it, well, because we're not going to go backwards as far as technology goes. The internet obviously is here to stay. And so the way it used to be, it will probably not come back either. But for Brunzel to stay a face his entire career, because you got to think, I mean, he started in 1972. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, and he went all the way up to, and I, I was just looking at it, then I switched um, – Push back, back to Blair. Uh, da, 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 da. Um, and he, Brunzel wrestled until 
So 27 years, and as far as we can tell, never switched sides. Stayed a face his entire career. And so that that alone, I mean, needs some recognition. That's Ricky Steamboat right there. Oh yeah, that I mean, that is, you know, Ricky Steamboat. He he's the one. He's the gold standard of that. And they say who was always the face. Ricky Steamboat. Okay, and you know, yeah, nobody's going to argue that. But Brunzel definitely needs to be mentioned. And as far as all time, I dare say all time great teams were definitely teams that. You you wanted to watch them because they were fun to watch, and they were good wrestlers, and they put on good matches, and they entertained us, and we enjoyed it. We didn't turn the channel when they came on, and we cheered them when they won, and we were sad when they lost. And I know earlier you actually asked me, how did I come up with this? Well, I mean, well, you know exactly because you were you said to me. Because your football team is named what, Kyle? Killer, killer B. We're, we're, we're the Killer Bees. And, and I, I am looking everywhere for a Killer B mask. Yeah, I would love to have one because guess what? I'll wear it for Halloween. This next next Halloween, I will I will wear it out in this town. And when you know you sent that text to me it was right as last week's podcast um had ended and i was thinking you know how how funny but now i get like i was like hmm it's like you know it's really not a bad idea because i don't think anybody's ever ever done anything on them i think it's kind of overdue and they're they've been forgotten and they shouldn't be And I'm like, you know what? Let's roll with it. Because I think we've had a pretty good discussion so far. So, yeah, there's a and there's a lot of forgotten tag teams, wrestlers from the 80s that could be remembered or discovered by younger fans. Power and glory. I. Un- undoubtedly, and I can't believe that they did not have a a championship run because that would have been golden. Their finishing move is still one of my all-time tag team finishing moves, the Powerplex. I've only seen one other team do it, and they did it as a tribute to Iron Glory, and that was right. – yeah. Um, oh, what the crap? F- FTR. <laughs> you know, we'll say the revival. No, can't call them the revival anymore. FTR. And they did it. Of course, I mean they they are a great tag team. I don't see how we didn't mention them earlier, but they make it a point to be a tag team to bring back you know that kind of wrestling. Bring back those tag teams like the bees. Now FTR, they, I, I think now they should walk in wearing killer bee masks. In fact, if somebody's listening to this show right now and you know them, tell them to get the mask. Kyle and I want to see it. And then tell Kyle where we can get the mask because we want, we want the mask ourselves. I bet Conrad right. Thompson I bet Conrad Thompson has one. Right? He probably has an authentic <laughs> mask. 
he's got Wahoo's headdress. What that man has collected with his money is unbelievable. But the killer bee mask that is available on Zubaz. I literally just pulled up the. I literally I just pulled up the website, and right as you said that, <laughs> yeah, that's not the right mask. Um, I have an unscheduled caller. Okay. Uh, I can't find the number in my phone. Is the person going to call in now? Because we've got about 20 minutes. Why do I not have this number in my phone? What did I do with it? Uh, 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 um. Are you trying to get a hold of the person or text them or are you able to call? Uh, let me see. I believe so. Text me the number. All right. This will be a first, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, there is an option where I, I hover over. There's a phone there and it says "call a guest." We've never done this before. Okay. okay. I am about to. It better. There it goes. And text me the name also. Um, okay, I'm putting a number in now. Let's see if this works. Well, this is odd. You can hear it? Yeah, dial. I am here. Hello. Hi, Kyle. Hello. How are you? Hello. Can you hear hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. you. Can you hear us? Oh, fantastic. I can. Hi. (laughs) All right. Um, And you are Kyle's friend. I am. 20 years. So, Steve, if you remember when you got married... Um, I, I do remember when I got married. I do. Twenty-two years. Remember ago. how long? You remember how long ago that was? Twenty-two years. I was her prom escort. Nineteen ninety-nine. Oh my! Is <laughs> did you did you come by our apartment? No, that was the other one. That was the other one. Okay. I don't believe because your name she is Jenny, Jenny, correct? They both were. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> German Jenny. <laughs> so, right. 
She, yeah. she used to come by when we watched all the dumb wrestling at 1 o'clock in the morning in our dorms. <laughs> I don't... I don't remember a whole lot, though. It's I wasn't okay. very into it. I thought you guys were kind of saying how you guys would prepare, like, all week for <laughs> one night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wasn't in the so, dorms, but um, if I was in the dorms, I would have been right there with Kyle doing that. <laughs> that was the days of illegal cable boxes. Oh, I guess, uh, yeah, I remember, yeah, no, I I didn't even realize you had to pay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we didn't, but we, we had a modified cable box given to, uh, given to me by a cable technician. And um, that's how we watch. Is it like a Hello Billy? Yeah, like a Hello oh Billy kind gosh. of situation. <laughs> yep. Cable guy. But what else did you get for free? Steve, I can't. Hello, Billy. <laughs> I I can't tell you how many hours. Like it it was me, her and someone um, we won't name that sat and watched just the dumbest, worst, whatever was on television. Yeah. Late at night. So, like so Jenny, when everybody else now? is sleeping. I am actually in yeah. Florida, in Jacksonville. Okay. Yeah, cause I just saw, I saw by the area code, and I was like, hmm, I just saw part of that was covering, like, Pensacola, and I was thinking maybe Pensacola. No, you're mm-hmm. on the other side. You're still, you're still in a Navy town, but... I am. The other side, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I Honestly, consider I mean, myself from the panhandle, though. <laughs> okay. So, since we're talking about wrestling, Steve, Jenny <laughs> has never heard the story of the day we first met. Oh, good God. Uh-oh. <laughs> Okay, let me tell the story this time, Kyle. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> very first, very, Kyle, first, first night at work, you know, where we worked. We have never, we don't discuss where we worked just because that's a little too personal, but where, we, where Kyle and I worked. <laughs> and there was this, this new airman, and mm-hmm. I was just being basically talking, you know, we all, you know, and Kyle knows this later on because I know he did the same thing, but you kind of feel the new airman out. There they are. Mm-hmm. And, well, Kyle, you know, he was in the habit of shaving his head. And, <laughs> hey, that was genetic. It, it was not my fault. Well, either way, though, I mean, you kept what you kept your head, you know, pretty slick, you know. Uh, if you mm-hmm. were to ever, like, all of a sudden show with, like, a mullet like I have now, I would probably <laughs> die of a heart attack, to be honest with you. <laughs> so would I. And, yeah. <laughs> but, um, and so... I was mentioning something about it. Oh, you know, yeah, nice bald head. And then, well, Kyle looked at me, and because my hair was had been receding, and I was only 25, <laughs> I think, Kyle at the time, but my hairline was already about back to the middle of my skull. And Kyle said, "Well, at least I'm bald on purpose." 
I was like, oh, okay. Okay, new, new guy's got jokes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Sassy. And one of the things that can happen to somebody new, and this is one thing I will, I was known as somebody who would play what they call Jeep jokes. And a Jeep joke mm-hmm. is where somebody new, you know, in your section, you would play a joke on them. But, I mean, I also um, had kind of my own policy of I would never do anything that would be considered, like, malicious. I would never do anything that would cost the person money, not on purpose, anyway, um, because I did actually damage somebody's property one time unintentionally. Well, nobody had warned young, the new airman, Kyle, don't leave your hat laying out. Because Uh-oh. it might go missing, and then when you go looking for it, mm-hmm. it might just be in the freezer, slowly becoming ice because somebody may have taken your hat and poured water in it, got it soaking wet, and then put it in the freezer. Nice. <laughs> and that might have happened to Kyle's hat about 10 minutes after you know he, he became sassy airman. And and then you know, Kyle, you know he's like, yeah. Oh, actually, he wasn't even Kyle. You were you were an airman, airman, weren't you? One stripe. Were you an airman basic? Uh, no, he he was already he already had one stripe before he at least one I had one. I I got my second one like not too long after that. Right. So. <laughs> um, he finally figured it. Somebody finally told him. Well, he came to me. Where's my hat? You know, because somebody told him, oh, yeah, you know, you Steve took it, you know. And, and, of course, actually, on a really quick side note to that, uh, Kyle, one time I looked up and I saw um, from where I sat, I saw Sweet Pants walking by also with a hat. And when he was on it, you knew it had water in it. So, and I went back and looked in the freezer, and there was like five hats in there. I get That night, apparently, I started, you know, the, the frozen hat wave. But anyway, nice. Um, yeah, so Kyle, I mean, he was like standing over it because you know Kyle. I mean, Kyle doesn't look like he can't fight. But Correct. there was an army. There was an army staff sergeant who was right there who actually kind of yelled at Kyle a little bit and said, "Airman, if Ooh. you can't take the joke, you need to find something else." And then after that, though, Kyle and I talked, and we've actually been friends. He, Kyle, realized it was not me being malicious. I was not being mean. But it was saying mm-hmm. a welcome, and he already had some yeah. pretty good vouch. Uh, he already had somebody vouching for him, and that's our very good mutual friend, Rich. All right. Rich had done a so yeah, he had yeah Rich had done a lot of vouching for Kyle. Uh, but in Kyle's figure, I don't play jokes on people that I don't like. I don't waste my time with them. Now, <laughs> on the flip side, though, on the flip side, on Kyle's point of view, I was just a jerk. No, on the flip side, she has actually witnessed um, an altercation. My jokes were a lot meaner than yours. <laughs> and, and I was try. more willing to cry. Huh? They're very dry. <laughs> <laughs> we We broke into a guy's room. And tormented him for almost 30 days straight. Oh, wow. And poor guy. Little things. (laughs) And he he vandalized my room. 
at someone's encouragement uh. and, and not to be named. <laughs> and he cleans up what he does, and I vandalize his room in return. And I said something to him, and he tried to put me in a sleeper hold. Yeah. And he's like five foot nothing. <laughs> and, and and Steve, no lie, <laughs> I picked him up, put him on my back, and he went back first, and I shoved one of his testicles into the wall. And to this day, he swears it's broken. Ah, ha, ha. Dude. You were mean to him. Oh, I love that. Oh, I was mean. You were mean. The guy I shared the bathroom was mean to him. And he's got photographic evidence. He took videos of everything. True. Yeah, I I, like, I wasn't as was, mean as you, though. Oh, it hurt more because it came from you. Well, I will say, though, and Kyle, this is actually something we haven't talked about as much. My last, last, last day of, I guess, work, I came in basically to get my medal, and I was walking mm-hmm. out the door, and then somebody... There was about three people all of a sudden grabbed my arms from behind, and they had the mm-hmm. chair waiting along with the duct tape. Tape you. <laughs> and, yes. Kool-Aid. And I mean, and uh, well, no, it wasn't Kool-Aid. Uh, we actually didn't oh. have Kool-Aid for that. Well, oddly enough, that now Kool-Aid because uh, permanent stains to people's uniforms. So actually, that's something I stayed away from. Yeah. Um, oh, you know, so you. like I said, no, nothing, no, no, no permanent damage. I mean, because the point of it was not to damage not even to humiliate but just to say hey you know we love you enough to do this because we're going to miss you um and i had and i had participated and that was one of the the unwritten rules was if you got somebody you could get got i say that right Mm -hmm. kyle yeah and one of our mutual friends um she almost got punched in the crotch until i looked up and realized it was a female because I said, yeah, y'all can get me. I said, but I'm not going. I'm not going to go down. I'm not just going to volunteer myself in the chair. If you can get me down, then oh, absolutely. Well, they got me. And this, Kyle, this was your first time ever doing this to somebody. And Kyle did not realize there were certain things that you because you poured stuff on their head. You poured ketchup, mustard, things like that on their head. Because they took me down. Mm-hmm. They took me to the cafeteria and did this. Wheeled and up. yeah, wheeled me in this chair. I could not move. And why y'all had me down there, I don't know if you remember the Navy captain who came walking up to me, and he looked at me, he's like, Aaron Barber, you know, and like, hey, Captain Miller, how you doing? <laughs> you know, because he knew me in Japan. And he's just in there shaking his head and just kept walking. You know, he didn't even try to do anything to stop it. He knew he knew what was up because he said, where are you heading? You know, I said, back to the salad. Oh, okay, cool. And but, then, then Kyle poured something on my head that he didn't know that – it's not that it's considered off limits, but it's something that could actually really hurt somebody. Kyle poured hot sauce on my head, and I could feel it going oh. down towards my eyes. And I actually had to yell, Kyle, get the hot sauce, get it off my eyes, get it off my eyes quick. And he did. He realized, like, dude, I was like, yeah, you don't do hot sauce. I mean, that's because he could actually blind somebody. I as well get pepper spray. I, 
know, we put hot sauce in that dude's room. We yeah. glued it to his toilet and pinpricked it. And I glued eight hot sauce packets to the toilet with pinpricks. So when he sat down, all, all the hot sauce went right into a certain area. You know how long it took me to figure out the angle you needed to do the pinprick to get that to do that? <laughs> I should have spent more time at the gym, huh? What Was it possible? I had to do something besides go to the gym. Uh, stock your fridge with more chicken cutlets. Steve you got to stay on the story. diet. Oh, you oh. would definitely have to tell me that story. In fact, <laughs> Jenny, uh, I was actually going to mention this to Kyle earlier, so it's actually a good thing that you came on on the show. Because Kyle was going to mention oh. our our subject for next week, basically women in wrestling, the evolution, how they, uh, kind of the history and how they were compared to how women's wrestling is today because – we just had WrestleMania. Uh, the first night was headlined by two women, and they put on a hell of a match. Wouldn't you agree, Kyle? Uh, I do agree. Oh, man, that match was something else. Uh, because women's wrestling yeah. is not what it used to be. It's not, okay, everybody's like a bathroom break now. We're... Yeah. If, um, if you remember in the dorms, Half the guys used to watch wrestling for the bra and panty matches. Uh huh. I'm pretty sure there's we know a mutual person that still has Polaroids of some of those matches. <laughs> and hid them in the ceiling. You ever broke into? <laughs> you ever broke into someone's room, Steve, and found that he took Polaroids of a little squiggly lined porn? That came on the old cable televisions. Oh Lord! He actually took Polaroids of the squiggly lines, multiple of the naked, and it showed it showed half a boob. Wow, that's uh, that that's really sad, actually. (laughs) Uh, That that kind of takes pathetic to a new level, actually. Uh, Wow. Oh, it, we were bad. Oh, it was bad. But my, I but, bought, because I used to buy all my food it, on my day off every every Sunday. So I bought three yeah. bags of chicken. And I would make chicken. I would barbecue chicken to eat because we were all on that low-carb diet. And it was me, Rich, other people on the floor and I would barbecue food and my fridge went out and the chicken stunk all down the hall. So I had to clean it up with towels and all this stuff. And we ended up breaking into someone else's room that was empty and switching my fridge out. Cause it's bad. <laughs> You've never told me about that one. Um, oh, Oh, but, oh wow, um, Jenny. I don't, I don't know if you can hear our cues, but we uh, we actually have a hard stop. I mean, it's actually something we can't control. Uh, we just got a cue. We have less than a minute remaining. Um, if Kyle has not invited you, uh, 
up to our Facebook page. If you're on Facebook, yeah, look it up. Uh, add yourself to it. Uh, we're also on Twitter at Booking Armchair. If you if you do that, yeah, it's definitely been nice mm-hmm. talking to you. Yeah, you're always welcome to uh, come on the show. Kyle will just have to let let us know when you want to be on. And yeah, I hope you enjoy yeah, it because now yeah, now you're on the podcast and the whole world, or at least our lawyer, our twenty loyal viewer or listeners, will hear you. But Kyle, uh, we got about 15 seconds, so until next week, my friend, uh, we'll be talking. God bless you. God bless you, Jenny. And I'm out. All right. Have a good one. All right. All right, you too. See ya.